Now, I wanted to talk to you about something that's important about this church. That is the two ordinances of the church. And most people say, we know what those are. That's baptism and communion. Is that right? That's right. So if those are two ordinances of the church that God gave to the church, we should know as much about it as possible and fulfill them. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in chapter 14. And the Bible is telling us some things that God did for the church. What did he give to the church? Well, one of the things he gave to the church was you. You see, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, he placed you into the body of Christ. And that happened the day you trusted the Lord. So when somebody else trusted the Lord, they were also placed into the body of Christ. So God gave you them. So we have each other. We're in the same family. Now, I know there may be somebody in your family, you call them the black sheep of the family. Maybe you were that black sheep in that family. But in God's family, we're supposed to be one big happy family. The church is supposed to be a, like a little slice of heaven on earth. And of course, your home is a little slice of heaven on earth. But when we all come together, as all these slices come together, we make a nice, big, beautiful cake. And so we're supposed to be one big, happy family. Is your home one big, happy family? Not always, huh? Well, even in a church, we have problems. And in a body, the Bible says that we got arms, we got eyes, we got ears and nose, mouth and all that. And in every body, there's always a couple heels. In your body, you've got a couple heels. But here in the book of 1 Corinthians, I want you to see this in uh, chapter 14. And look in verse 23. Verse 23. He says, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place. Stop right there. Now the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, Holy Scriptures, if the whole church become together in one place. Do you believe that it is God's will for God's children to come together in one place? I've had people tell me, I don't need to go to church. I can go out here on the mountains and worship God. And I can get in my little sailboat and go out there on the waters and fish seven days a week and worship God and be just as close to God. Well, maybe you can. Maybe you can do all of those things. But does God say what he wants you to do. See, it's not according to what you want. It's not left up to us to make our own opinions about whatever we want to do. If God didn't tell us what to do, that would be one thing. But if he told us what to do, as a child of God, we're supposed to obey the Lord. Now, we know we have mavericks. You know, people just want to do their own thing and serve God in their own way. You have no idea how many times I've had people tell me, look, Yankee, you serve God your way, and I'll serve God my way. And I say, if we don't serve God God's way, we don't serve God. You serve God God's way. So as a child of God, does he want the whole church, all of his children to come together? Yeah, but they're not going to. 
Are they all going to come together into one place? No, we got them scattered all over the world. I used to lead people to the Lord out in Colorado when we had thousands coming to ranch, and we did. We ran 10 buses on a Sunday morning. We'd have six, 700 kids on buses, just the buses. And so we had a lot of them that trusted the Lord. And you'd be surprised. I'd, the church is over. I'd, I'd go to the uh, cafeteria, and lo and behold, there's somebody in line that I've led to the Lord. And they say, Yankee, we are so thankful for you. And we took your advice and we went to church. But they went to the other church down the street. We even had a ball team and we were out there and we we're going to play these teams. because We had a great bunch of guys and so we had a, a, a softball league and so we were in that. And lo and behold, we'd be playing against some of these guys and they'd come up to me and say, you know, you led me to the Lord five or six years ago. I'm a deacon in blah, blah, blah church. That's wonderful. And we would do the same thing in basketball. And, you know, we, we just, but I thought, if it wasn't for our soul winning, some of these churches would be empty. But, you know, it doesn't belong to the preacher. The church belongs to the Lord. It's God's church. It's the Lord's people. We just have certain responsibilities. But he does say that he wants the church to come together. Now, as he says here, there are different things that are in here that we're not covering today because I've covered them at other times. But I also want you to look at the next verse. Look at verse 26. This is right here in your notes also, but it's good to see it in the Bible. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together? Now, is it the will of God for God's children to come together? Yes or no? It is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It is the will of God. Now, there may be times when you can't. That's one thing. We're not talking about that. You may be sick and on your death. We understand that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about when you can do what God wants you to do, do you believe you should do it? has nothing to do with the will of the preacher. I'm not God. I don't write the book. But I am responsible to teach the book so that you understand what God wants. You see, things don't look so bad in the world if we don't consider what the world is doing as being bad. That's why the Bible says, I had not known lust unless the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. But when the law says that's wrong, then I realize, oh my stars, that, that's wrong. And a lot of things are wrong. So what the world is doing is passing laws to make what they want to do as sin right. So homosexuality is right because they passed a law. And if they pass a law about taking babies and killing them in the womb, well, then it's not murder because it's justified. It's legal. Supreme Court says so. Because they said so, it must be right. But is it right? Just because that's what the world does. And so it's not that bad. Did you realize that the more you excuse sin in your life, after a while it don't look so bad because everybody else is doing the same thing. So you excuse yourself. And you cease to judge it as being wrong because. But let's just pretend that God is still God. And that he's still on the throne. And his word is still the authority. Now if we do that, then it's amazing how God 
draws us back into what this says. Sometimes we as God's children, we don't think we are as disobedient as we are because we don't think it's as bad as we think it is. Because after all, I'm not murdering anybody. I haven't robbed a bank lately. But now notice what he says. Howbeit then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a song, a psalm, and a doctrine. And he mentions a few other things. But when you have a song to sing, if God gave you a voice, regardless of its quality, I believe you are required by God to give it all you got. The Bible does talk about make a joyful what? And it might be just that. <laughs> a noise. But in the ears of God, it might sound like beautiful music. Did you know there may be a lot of choirs around the world that sounds better than our choir? I can't believe that, but I mean, there might be. But did you know that in the eyes of God and in the ears of God, it could be an abomination to him? Because there are people that are singing that know not the Lord, and their songs have no meaning in their heart, and they don't live according to what they sing. So we have the Word of God given to us. Now look in verse 31. Verse 31. That you may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. I just want to focus upon the last part of that, where it says, the reason we come together and we learn and we obey what God says do, that all may learn. You, I can learn on my own. I know you can. But there's things God wants you to learn from somebody else. And there's things that others need to learn from you. One is the faithfulness to the Lord. Your life should be one big thank you to the Lord for what God has done for you. So he makes a statement here. All may be comforted. Did you know that there's comfort and there's joy and peace and all that when you obey God? When you do what God wants you to do? Because it does something to you inside. When you know that you're doing what God says, that you're obeying the Lord. Did you know when you know the truth and you won't obey the truth, did you know that it brings an automatic guilty feeling in your life? And now that guilt is either be confessed or it has to be dealt with some way. And so some people put salve on it and soothe it a little bit and say, well, it wasn't that bad. When you justify your wrong in order to try to remove the guilt that's there because you know that you shouldn't. Seek to be found faithful to the Lord in all that God wants you to do. Now, look in verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion. Now, notice this. The very next verse, he says, let your women keep silent in the churches. Why would he say that? Verse 33. God is not the author of confusion. Let your women keep silent in the churches. Now, you can read it any way you want. As many times as you want. But you can't get away from the fact that God said something to do here. I don't believe that women ought to be women preachers, elders, or deacons. Deacons and says that's one thing. That's totally different but from the men. But do you realize that there are a lot of people, and they say, well, we have a, a woman preacher. And I've met some of them. I even led a few of them to the Lord. And 
they can preach a better sermon than some preachers I know. God says, this is what I want. If any man desires the office of a bishop or an elder, a pastor, and talk about having a wife. You see, you can twist the scriptures any way you want and try to make it acceptable. But wrong is still wrong. God's the one that started the church. It's his baby. It's his. Belongs to him. And he says what he wants and what he doesn't want. But some people just don't care what God says. They're going to do what they're going to do anyway. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of John chapter 4. The Gospel of John and chapter 4. We talk about these two ordinances. One of the reasons for this is you can't always do what God wants you to do as a body of believers unless you know, hey, God has told us what he wants us to do. Now, it's up to us to decide whether or not do we want to do it. So in John chapter 4, I want you to look at this scripture. Look in verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. You'll have some people say that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. So that means you're not saved unless you are baptized. And whoever baptizes you should be your Savior because they saved you by baptizing you. But if Jesus is the Savior and he didn't baptize anybody, then Jesus didn't save anybody. So you don't have to be baptized in water in order to be saved. So baptism must be a picture of something. If it doesn't save you, what does it do? What's the purpose of it? And then you have some people say, well, that was for those people in that period of time. You know, when the Apostle Paul came along, we don't have to be baptized anymore. So therefore, that's been done away with. All right, there's some people that believe that. So they don't worry about it. And so anyway, I mean, if you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven, then why shouldn't I be baptized at all? So I'll decide if I do or I don't, I will or I won't. So my choice. So what's it going to hurt if I don't? I'm still saved. I'm still going to heaven. That's true. It will not affect your salvation one iota. But you want to find out something. Is he the Lord or is he not the Lord? Does he have the right to tell his children what he wants them to do? If I tell my son, take out the trash, he knows my will. Bless your holy name, Father. But I don't want to take out the trash. What else would you want me to do? Take out the trash. Well, bless you, Father. Yeah, and you know I want to be an obedient child. But I don't want to take out the garbage. Now, is he going to be an obedient son or disobedient? Now, you know the answer. If God walked in this room and told you, I want you to do this for me, and you say, I will not, but you make it smooth and justifiable. You don't do what God says do. You're the one that has to decide whether or not, am I going to obey him or not? Going to heaven is not affected, but he is your heavenly father. Do you obey him or you disobey him? Does it matter? Those are things you have to think for yourself. But I can tell you what God said. So you notice here he says in verse 2, Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. Now look in verse 22 of chapter 3. Verse 22 of chapter 3. After these things 
came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptized in Anan near to Salem because there was much water there. Now, if it's just a little sprinkling, you don't need much water to do that. But if you're going to baptize somebody, it takes a little bit more water. You've got to put the whole body under. But anyway. And so he says there was much water there. For John was not yet cast into prison. So why do you need much water? Well, because baptism is supposed to be a picture of something. Death, burial, and the resurrection. When you stand in water, it's a picture of Christ on the cross. When you go under the water, it's a picture of your burial. When you come up out of the water, it's a picture of your resurrection. So when you as an individual, you believe that when Christ died, He died on that cross for me. He was buried for me. He came back again from the dead for me. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. Now, He did that for me. And so if I was the only person in all the world, He would have done all of this for me. So the reason God wants me to be baptized, and you can take it up with Him later if you want, because it is a picture of not just His death and burial and resurrection. It's a picture of mine. He did that for me. So I inwardly believe it, but it's a way of professing it, and you're taking a public stand. I was on that cross. I was crucified with Christ. I was buried with Christ. And I came back again, been raised from the dead with Christ. I have ascended with Christ. I am seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Because what he did was put to my account, though I did it. Now, he asked me if I'd do that for him. I got a choice. I can either obey or disobey. I'm still going to heaven. That's not been affected. I'm still saved. I have eternal life. I'm going to heaven. But if my heavenly father walks in here and asks me to do something, I don't know about you, but I just want to do it. I don't argue with God. I don't debate it with God. I don't try to reason around it or use psychology or anything. Nothing matters. When I know his will, do it. Just do it. It doesn't make any difference whether anybody understands, likes it, agrees. It's, I am his child, and this is what God says do, then I just do it. But I've been doing that for the last 56 years since I've known the Lord as my Savior. Just quickly obey God. Delayed obedience is disobedience. But now notice what it says. I want you to see this. Look there in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. See, everyone has to make decisions about what they want to do in their life, what they think is a priority or not. And uh, not to set in judgment on other people's lives. I'm just telling you what the judge said. I can't make people do things. But here in Matthew 28, now notice what he says in verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teach them then to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world or end of the age. So God has given a command. This is a command. One of the last things he said to do, go into all the world, Preach the gospel, teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So whenever I'm standing there and I got a person in the water, I always kind of say something along this line. And upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and in obedience to the Lord's command, 
I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Put them up. Raised to walk in newness of life. Because it's the first birth dying and the new birth coming to life. It means that God died on that cross and paid for the sins of your first birth. Boom. And you come back again to walk in newness of life. That's what God wants us to do. And it is a command for this to be done, to teach all nations. Now, as you go through the Bible, does that same thing bear up? Look in Acts chapter 8. The book of Acts and chapter 8. Whatever it is, you want to draw your opinions based upon what God's Word says. Now, in Acts chapter 8, you'll notice this, that uh, there was this Ethiopian eunuch, and he uh, had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he's riding back in his chariot. He's out there in the desert, and God told Philip to go and join himself to the chariot. So he runs about 100 miles, catches them, and brings them together at a point in time in the middle of a desert. And so he says in verse 30, and Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand what thou readest. He said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb dumb before his shears. So he opened not his mouth. He's reading the book of Isaiah. What we call Isaiah 53. He's reading to them from the Old Testament. The reason he didn't use the New Testament because it wasn't written yet. And so he says here in uh, verse 34, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And so there had to be a conversation that went on. That he had to explain a bunch of stuff to him so he understood. So then he says here, in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. In verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, he, he, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What would keep me from being baptized? Why did he want to be baptized? It's not for salvation, but because he understood and he wanted to be baptized. Now, I've met Christians who fight against it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But to do what God says to do, and he makes this statement. Philip says in verse 37, he says, Philip said, I, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. In other words, this isn't for everybody. This is only for those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. When you believe, and he had already explained the gospel to him, preached unto him Jesus, and if you believe this, this is what he wants you to do. This is what we consider to be one of the first steps of obedience to the Lord. Because if you can do this, then maybe you can walk in other areas. Take this first step. Take this step. Take this step. Take this. We're always trying to teach God's people how to walk with God. But some people want to skip around things and not do it. And it's something that you'll, when you get to heaven, you'll have to answer to God. Don't answer to the preacher. But if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, since you have trusted the Lord, have you been baptized? And have you been scripturally baptized? Sprinkling water on the top of your head is not being baptized. That's not how we bury people today. But now notice, he goes on through here and he does his thing and then Philip is wished away. Now look in Acts in chapter 16, very quickly, just turn over to Acts chapter 16. And here you have Paul and Silas. 
Some people say, well, Paul didn't baptize, but he didn't baptize a lot. Only a few people, but he does say this. We have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8, and here we have the Philippian jailer. And so the jailer, well, there was an earthquake, and uh, the doors were open, and he thought everybody had been left out of there. So he was going to fall on the sword and take his life. But evidently, because Paul and Silas had been singing Amazing Grace in the jail cell that night, and they had to be preaching the gospel about something because the question that he asked was, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look what he says in verse 30. And he brought them out, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if there is ever a question, that's a good question. If there's ever going to be an answer to what you have to do to be saved, he ought to have told them here. And they said, keep the Ten Commandments, go to Calvary Community Church, pay 20%, live a good life, get water baptized, and join the church. All he, did he say all of that? The only thing they told him was the only thing they had to do to be saved. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thine house, if your house believes, they can be saved. Anybody can be saved. Whosoever can be saved. Whosoever believeth. So evidently he had heard enough. He knew he needed to be saved. And then they told him what he had to do to be saved. And then because they did believe it, what did they do? In verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight way. They got baptized. Now, is that to be saved? No. But because it's a picture. Christ died for me. Therefore, I want to be following the Lord in baptism. I want to go under the water. My first birth is dead. All my sins have been paid. And I have come back again from the dead. And I have a new birth. And every one of God's children should walk in newness of life. Live like you've come back from the dead. And that this world has no hope for you. This world is not where you set your affections. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ, set your affections on things that are above. Colossians in chapter 2. So very important. Now, in your Bible there, I want you to look in 1 Corinthians now in chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Does God want all of the people to believe the same thing? Yes. Have the same mind? Yes. See there in verse 10? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. The only way you can all speak the same thing is you're all taught the same thing. You hear the same thing because you all come together and you learn together. That you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, same judgment wouldn't it be wonderful if all of God's people thought the same way? Believed the truth the same way. We could shake the world 